Good morning, everyone. It's a real privilege and pleasure to be here once again with you all, opening up God's Word, sharing with you in fellowship, and hearing what God has to say for, uh, to us. And as you know, we've been looking at the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, and we've had some um, incredible messages coming through what God has spoken to his servant, and particularly servant David in this book. And we're going to carry on with our study today, looking at this book. And we're going to turn to chapter 32, chapter 32 of Psalms. If you have your Bibles, please do, do turn to that. And so that it can be resting in the back of your minds, our topic this morning is called guilt. We'll be looking at guilt. Last week we did... We dealt with uh, depression, and Matthew shared that with us, and today we're going to look at guilt. And the two are slightly, slightly linked, and we'll talk about that a bit more about that in a moment. So from verse 1 of chapter 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct and teach. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. What a wonderful passage that is, and, and Sometimes when we approach Scripture, we, we have to remember some very important things. That Scripture was written through men, appointed by God for us. And so when we read Scripture, it's important to remember, this is God speaking to us. A small boy, about seven years of age, in fact he was seven years old, went swimming with his father, as was their usual practice on a Saturday morning. And being seven, he was getting to an age where he could first get his, his pocket money, that little bit of money that parents sometimes give to their children. And his father said to him, what would you like to do with your pocket money? And he said, I would like to buy an ice cream after we've been swimming. So they headed off to the swimming pool. They splashed around in the water. And when they finished and had dried off, father said to him, you go into the restaurant 
uh, and get your ice cream. I'm going to go to the car, and I'll see you at the car. So the little boy went off. He went to the restaurant. He saw the uh, cabinet with the ice creams in the refrigerator with them. He took one out. Because it, it was quite early in the morning, there weren't many people about. So he went up to the cashier. No one there. So he shouted. He said, hello, with his ice cream and his money. Hello, as only a little boy can. And no one came. So he had this dilemma. He's got the money. He's got the ice cream. So he put the money in his pocket, and he walked out with the ice cream. Kind of profit situation almost. And he walked outside, saw his father in the car, jumped in the car. They happily went home while he, while he ate his ice cream. And later that, that morning, later that Saturday morning, he said to his father, you know, I'm just wondering what to do with my pocket money. And his father looked at him and said, you've spent your pocket money. And then the whole story came out of what happened. Now, I know that story, me, because I was that boy. And I want to tell you something about that. The guilt that I felt having to tell my parents what I had done was far greater than the guilt I felt walking outside with that ice cream that I hadn't paid for. And you know, that's the kind of guilt that David is referring to in this passage. And it's really important that we understand that this morning as we share in, in, this, in this scripture. And let's look at David. Who was David? David, the, the great king, um, the, the king that had done so much, and yet in his failing before God, and if you know the story, and this passage, uh, chapter 32, this guilt tends to relate to the guilt that David had with his uh, affair, if that's the right way of putting it, uh, and ultimate murder that took place as a result of that affair, affair with Bathsheba. And I'm not going to go through the whole story now. It's, 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 a, it's an interesting story to read, but if I had to praise it down into a couple of sentences, David is on the rooftop, he's looking out, and he sees a beautiful woman and is immediately attracted to her. And that leads to a relationship. It leads to, it leads to an affair and uh, adultery. And it becomes complicated. And so David, in, in his foolishness, decides the best way to get over this problem is to get rid of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And he was sent to the front line where the fighting was going on. And ultimately, he died. And the guilt that came from going through that sometime later is very much expressed in these passages. Now, where does that guilt come from? Well, David was challenged. In your Bibles, if you can turn to the book of 2, 2 Samuel, chapter 12, and there is an altercation, maybe that's not the right word, but there's a challenge from Nathan, who was sent by God, to speak to David. And we read from verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children. 
used to eat of his morsel and drink of his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite, with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. That's a very, very powerful accusation being made against David, and it was true. The great king, David, the famous shepherd who stood before Goliath, The great king who was to lead his people in victory after victory is now humbled. And just like he took that sling and that stone and that stone passed uh, into Goliath's head and Goliath fell to his knees, now David, like Goliath, has fallen to his knees, but not because of someone injuring him, because he injured himself through this selfish act. And the spirit is convicting him. And that's what's really important as we look at this passage today, to understand that when we talk about guilt, as Christians, we talk about being convicted by God. And the guilt that is generated from that is almost, we could say, it's a form of being spirit-led. That's the difference. One of the many differences between Christians and people that don't know our Lord, is that we will feel guilt at having failed God. Now, I'm not a betting man. Um, I don't think it's good to spend what God's given us and gamble it away. But if if I had to have a bet here today with no money involved, I would say that just about everyone here knows what it's like to experience guilt in some way knows what it's like to have that feeling of letting someone down, letting a party down, or indeed letting our Lord Lord down. So what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at three simple things about guilt. We're going to look at about what it is, and we'll be reading the passages of Scripture that, uh, that are presented to us in Psalms. We're going to talk about what it does to us, and we're going to talk about how we deal with it. That's very, very important, how we deal with guilt. Chapter 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression transgression 
for sin is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. It's a feeling of having committed wrong. And if you look at guilt in in a dictionary, the definition will be a feeling of having committed wrong or failing in an obligation. Wow, that's something we do a huge, a huge amount of. And we tend to use the word quite loosely nowadays. We talk about guilt trips, and we talk about, oh, I feel guilty over that. Oh, But really, when we're talking about guilt, and especially when we're talking about it in terms of what it means as a Christian, it's a very, very, very serious, serious thing. How do we get guilty? What is it? Well, look at all the situations we find ourselves in feeling bad about something that we've done, perhaps. Sorry for a situation that we're in. Realizing that we've hurt others. How many times have we done that? The ease of which we can hurt people by the things we say, the actions we take, or the lack of things that we do. Seeing no way out of a situation, that's similar to what Matthew was sharing with us last week when we talk about depression. All these things can bring a feeling of guilt. But you know, for a Christian, it's much more than this. It's not just doing the wrong, it's feeling the wrong. It's feeling the wrong. And that's what our Lord God does when we do something wrong. His Spirit convicts us. His Spirit works in us. And we sense guilt. And that's really important to understand. But it's comforting as well. Because if you're feeling guilty about something, well, there's one way of looking at it. You're probably being convicted by God in some special way. He's moving in you. He's challenging you. He's wanting to see some change. And this is very much reflected in this passage that David has written in the Psalms. This conviction that's being felt. I, um, I recently traveled from T- DWC Airport. Who's flown from DWC Airport here? Anyone? One. Two? One or two. It's a funny place. Southern Dubai. And just recently, for those of you flying at, in, in Dubai, you'll know that the runways were closed. So lots of flights went to DWC or Maktoum Airport, as they call it. And I'd flown there a few times before, out of there a few times before. And I had this really bad flight in the morning at 4 o'clock. So I got to the airport at 2 o'clock. I walked into the check-in desk. Deserted. Completely deserted. And I thought, am I the only passenger on this flight? Have I got the aircraft to myself? And there was a a check-in lady there, so I handed my passport and ticket, and she took it. She said, which flight are you on? And I told her what flight I was going to. And uh, she starts typing it in. She frowns. She looks up to me and she says, you're at the wrong airport. She said, you should be at Terminal 2 in Dubai. And I thought, my flight is leaving in two hours. I can make it. I can make it. So I grabbed my ticket, rushed to the car. Not a lot of traffic around at that time. Belted out the car park along the Emirates Road, as fast as I could go. As I'm driving, there's this big white flash behind me. This big white flash. 
It's called a speed camera. I don't know how many I set off, but I only got one very polite text from the Dubai police saying I'd broken the law and that I owe them 600 dirhams. But when I was driving, I felt justified in what I was doing. I felt it's okay for me to go fast because I've got to get to the airport because if I don't get to that airport, I'll miss my flight. I just made it, by the way, for those of you who are interested. The gate was closed, but I blagged my way through, and I just made it. But I felt justified in breaking the law. And that's what happens when we sin, isn't it? We feel justified in what we do. We feel it's okay to do it for whatever reason. But what comes from that, or what should come from that, is a feeling of feeling, a feeling of guilt. We, we talked just recently about Zacchaeus in some of the groups and, and uh, shared some of it as a church. Zacchaeus, he wasn't just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. And it's a great story, and many of us learn it from, um, from Sunday school or Friday, maybe we call it children's church or Friday school. And Zacchaeus, he was, a, he was a, a little man, and he wanted to see Jesus, and he climbed a tree so that he could see Jesus as, um, uh, as he was passing and in Jericho. And it's a, it's a super story. It's an interesting story. Because if you really boil down the story, it's not just a sweet little funny story. It's actually very serious. Because Z- Zacchaeus was the man who would go around taking money from people who probably couldn't afford to give that money. But because of his authority and because of his power, he would take it. And he was probably one of the most despised men in Jericho. And so you can imagine, had you been there at that time, that here is this little man now climbing this tree, which in itself in the culture would be very unusual climbing a tree to see Jesus. Now, I was trying to think, how could I draw comparisons to this to modern-day tax collectors? Now, if you're from the UK, we pay our taxes to the Her Majesty's Government. Uh, Her Majesty's Government takes our money, and um, quite coincidentally, the the Queen is actually very, very short. I've met her once, and... I think it's highly unlikely she would climb a tree to see, to see me. But Zacchaeus climbed the tree because he was in the presence of Jesus. And suddenly all that sin and suddenly all that wrong and suddenly all the times that he had been take, taking money from all those people came to him in guilt in the very presence of Jesus. And it made him climb the tree. And Jesus saw him. He said, I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house. And we know how the story went on. He said, if I've cheated anyone, I will pay them back fourfold and so on. And this, and this was the, story, the, the, the wonderful story that, that, that comes out of this. He was a changed man. I would love for my uh, Her Majesty's inspectors of taxes to say to me, you know, if I feel, if, if, you, if you don't, if you, if you feel you've paid too much, don't worry, we'll pay you back four times. That would be a very nice thing. I don't think that's going to happen, but um, it would be a nice story if it did. And it was the presence of Jesus that made him take that action. He saw his guilt. 
And for us as Christians, it's the presence of Jesus in our lives that makes us see and understand what being guilty is. And you know, there's someone running around this world that likes to generate that feeling. We learn about him in Genesis after creation, called Satan. And through the scriptures, we see him time and time again coming to try and upset, to try and frustrate the relationship between man and God. And he started with Adam and Eve. And we know the story well, and I don't want to repeat it now. But, you know, as a result of the action, Adam and Eve felt guilty in the presence of God after they had sinned. And like us, we too feel guilty when we have failed God. So what does it do to us? Well, we carry on in verses 3 and 4. What does guilt do to us? For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. These very melancholy verses, these very sad, deep feeling that that David is now sharing. And and as he's describing this terrible situation, this sort of internal turmoil that, that, that he's going through. And... You know, it's not helping him in his walk with God. It's not doing him any favors. In fact, if anything, it's sending him in the opposite direction. He's not progressing. You ever had that terrible situation where you're in a car with someone, you're the passenger, they're driving, and you think, you know, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't like the way this person's driving. I'll tell you the person that I dislike the most who's driving me, is the person that's speaking to me but wants to look at me. So, how are things? Yeah, tell me all about it. You're not going to get much conversation from me if someone's looking at me and I'm the passenger because I want them to be looking out front. And many is the time that I just wanted, if I'd had a brake pedal in my side of the car, I'd be want to be slamming on the brakes, bringing everything to a halt, getting out. Well, that's what guilt does. It's a slamming on of the brakes. It's a trying to bring things to a halt. And when we talk about our life and we talk about our relationship with God, and as we're trying to move on in it, guilt slams on the brakes. And we can't go any further. And we slow down. And we don't make the progress that God wants us to make. A man called Frederick, Rotherington Mayer. What a great name that is. He was a very famous minister in the 1800s. And in fact, he, he worked a lot in, the, in England and he worked a lot in North America and he tied up with uh, Dwight Moody. And uh, I think you've probably heard the name Moody. Many Bible colleges uh, and so on, Moody Bible colleges. And a very, very, very uh, profound man of God. And... In his service, he wrote many, many things. And one of the things he said, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Great words. It's not unanswered prayer, it's unoffered prayer. And you know, it's guilt that takes us to that stage 
of not offering what we should to God. He also said this, secret sin and inner peace with God cannot coexist. And that's what guilt is, secret sin, secret sin. And we think that only we know about it. So what does it do to us, guilt? Well, it affects our relationship with God. It slams on the brakes. It keeps us from what we should be doing. It holds us back. We don't, make, we don't cover the distance that we should be doing, uh, that we should be as, as, as Christians. But not only that, it affects our relationships. If we're feeling really bad about something, if we're feeling sad, if we're feeling we can't get this out, if we feel it's holding us back, it affects the relationships that we have with one another. It affects your relationship here in this fellowship. And what we say to those we love and what we do. And that is not good. And we live in a kind of, you've probably heard the term blame culture. Now, if you watch any news article or read about something, what you'll see is this is what's happened, and that will take that much up, and then this is who's at fault, and it will take that much of the article up. And it's a kind of blame, blame, blame culture. Because someone's got to be guilty. Someone has to be guilty of what's happened. And if we feel a guilty party, if we feel we are a guilty party, we are not really serving God as we should, and we're not serving our fellowship as we should, and we can't interact in the way that, that God wants us to. So, not only affects our relationship with God, but it affects our relationship with one another. Look at the uh, Apostle Paul, who, was, who committed crime after crime after crime before he was converted. Did he let that guilt hold him back for the rest of his life? No. He got on, he moved on with his life, and he served, served God. So guilt holds back our relationships and how God wants to develop us. And lastly, I think guilt doesn't do us any good in It's not healthy. We're dwelling all the time on what we've done wrong, what we should have done, and why this has happened, and so on. It links to what was talked about last week. We don't make any progression, and we start to physically, physically deteriorate. And that's why I think David was right to say, my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. One commentator marked, guilt is like prison, a prison that we make for ourselves. What is prison? Prison is the shons. What do I mean by that? It's isolation. It's separation. It's restriction. They're all the things that happen, happen if you're in prison. You're isolated, you're separated, and you're restricted in what you can do. And as Christians, that's what guilt is doing to us. So, How do we deal with it? Three simple words. Acknowledge it, confess it, and take responsibility. And it's very important that we understand that if we go through this, it's not just a simple question of, okay, that happened, let's just move on. There's some important things that we need to learn from it. God has got it covered, you know, when it comes to our failure. He sent his son 
to die in our place to take the punishment for our sins so that we can be clean. You know, and one of the wonderful things about this fellowship, and there are many wonderful things, is you will always hear the gospel, and Matthew alluded to that this morning, to be reminded of what God has done. He's got it covered. You ever use that in sport? If you play a team sport, you say, I'll cover him. Just in case something happens, I'll be there. Football, soccer, rugby, even in cricket. You might cover, and I know cricket's really easy to understand if you've never played it, but part, part of the rules of cricket is you will cover a certain area depending on, on the batsman or depending on the bowler, depending on the pitch. And you say, I'll be here, I'll cover it just in case the ball come, comes this way. Well, God has it covered by the work of his son, Jesus Christ. So if God's got it covered, what is it that we have to do when we want to deal with guilt? Well, the first one is we have to acknowledge it. We have to be confident enough as Christians to say, I have done wrong. We, we need to know that we cannot stay in this state of just feeling guilty. And David knew that. And we sometimes find that hard to learn. We've got to move on from just being guilty to doing something about it. Charles Wesley, the brother of, brother of John Wesley, and I'm sure they're names that were uh, known to you. Uh, John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church, a very big church in, in Europe and North America. And he wrote many hymns, Charles, the brother. And um, one of the hymns that he wrote was called Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. And it takes extracts of scripture and puts it into song. Anyone ever sung that hymn? I'm sure we've all sung it, haven't we? Well, he said in one of the verses, he speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive, the mournful broken hearts rejoice, the humble poor believe. And that's pulled out of scripture. All those verses uh, are related to specific passages in scripture. And he he also wrote in another uh, hymn, long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound, in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. You know, if you know the book of Acts, you'll know where that, where that, come, where that story comes from. It's the stepping over of getting to a place of acknowledgement and of the change that comes. So that's the first bit. The second bit, is the confession. You know, God wants us to be sorry for what we've done. It's, oh, it just fell. Okay, anyway, sorry about that. Let's move on. That's not what God wants from us. God wants from us to know that we are sorry. And that's what confession is. Confession to him. And, you know, he's made that confession possible by Christ dying for us. We don't go through ritual. We don't need to spill the blood of an animal. We don't need to go through another man or a high priest. The time of Jesus' death, we read, if you read the authorized version, it says the curtain in the temple was rent in twain. That's old English. But it means it was split in two. Meaning that we now had 
direct access. Direct access to God. And part of confession is coming into the presence of God and saying we're sorry. Say, I don't want to be in this place. I want to move on. I wanted to use a few hymns today to talk about this. There's another man called George Herbert. 400 years ago, that's a long time ago, um, he, he was a, an aide to, uh, to a king called James I. And if you've ever read the authorized version of the Bible, you see James I. There's often, often a bit about James I in the front of your Bible. because That was really the first common Bible that everyone could use. And George Herbert was an aide. And one day he said, you know, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of being in government. I've had enough. I'm just going to go to a little place and I'm going to worship God and I'm going to be a minister. And that's what he did. So he came from here down to here. But God blessed him in a very, very, very special way. And he wrote these words that we sometimes sing. King of glory, king of peace, I will love thee. And that love may never cease, I will move thee. Thou hast granted my request. Thou hast heard me. Thou didst note my working breast. Thou hast spared me. Wonderful words. What special words. He had confessed. He knew what it was to have forgiveness. And we need to get to that point in our lives where we can acknowledge where we can confess, and finally, where we take some responsibility. And you know, the difference between someone that loves God and someone that doesn't love God is what is the fact that we want to please Him, that we want to His glory to be reflected in our lives. And one of the ways we do that is by being more like Him. By wanting to be more like him. And, and let me set you a tough question, not for you to answer now, but here's the question. If you look back in your life, say five years ago, one year ago, ten years ago, in your walk with Christ, if you look back, ask yourself this question. How have I changed in my relationship with God? And if there's no change, you have some even bigger questions to ask. Because we should all be changing. We should be getting closer in that relationship. And when we sin, and when we feel guilty, and when we go through this process of acknowledging and confessing and knowing with certainty that that sin is forgiven, there's some responsibility on us. And that responsibility is to learn from it, and to not want to do it again, and to move on and to grow. Not to dwell in it, but to move on. And you know, if we mentioned Paul a moment ago, if he hadn't been able to move on, we wouldn't have the church as we have now. But God put that in the past and said, you've sinned against me. Why do you sin against me? He challenged Saul on that road before he was called Paul. He said, why are you doing this? But that was then. And then he moved on and changed greatly. A man who was to commit his whole life to our Lord. And that same burden of responsibility is on us. So that when we sin, 
when we feel guilty because we've sinned, we acknowledge it, we confess it, and we take some responsibility for being a better person. And that's why we come to church, isn't it? We want to be better people. We want to share. We want to be a fellowship. We want to do things for others. We, we want to give of the things that God has given us. That's really, really important. And I, I can't begin to think what life would be like if I didn't have a fellowship of believers around me, people that I can share with, that can help me and I can help them, and to sing hymns with, and to read God's words with. That is valuable for me, and it is valuable because it makes us more like the person God wants us to be as we move on. We don't dab the brakes that we head on in our Christian lives. That little seven-year-old boy, me, the next Saturday, had a really tough task ahead of him because his parents told him, you're going to go back to that restaurant with your pocket money and you're going to go and pay for that ice cream that you took. Picture the scene then. Me, full of guilt and shame and embarrassment and wanting this whole thing to go away, but knowing deep down, yes, it actually was the right thing to do. And I went into the restaurant and my sort of father was hovering by the door and he said, this little lad's got something to say. And I walked up to the cashier. Unfortunately, there was a cashier there. And I took the money out of my pocket and I explained what had happened. And I got this very, very stern look from the lady. And then the look changed into a smile. She said, you know, you've been honest. And because you've been honest, I think you should keep your pocket money. And that's what I did. So I'd had, I got forgiveness. But, you know, look at the forgiveness that we get from our, from our God. It's hard to compare, isn't it? But whatever we do in our failing before him, He's there to forgive us. And David knew that. And he was, I think, moved greatly in this chapter in the way in which God, so bountiful, such a bountiful forgiveness that he knew he could go to that place of close fellowship with our Lord once again. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Amazing grace, that hymn that we sometimes sing by John Newton. So as we recap this morning, what is guilt? It's, it's not something that's unusual. It's something that we're all going to experience. But as Christians, we're convicted by God when we do wrong, and that's what guilt is. And it challenges us. It separates us from God. It separates us from one another. It doesn't do us any good. And we need to move on from that. And how do we move on? We acknowledge our guilt before our Lord, knowing what His Son has done for us. We confess that we're we're sorry, that we're wrong, and we learn from it and be a better person 
for our God. Let's pray together. Dear God, we are just sometimes amazed at the wonder and the wisdom of your word to us. We thank you, Lord, that we're reminded in this passage not only of how we fail you, but how you care for us in that failure. And we thank you, Lord, that you convict us, that we might change, that we might do more for you here in this place, that we might go, go on in our Christian lives growing and serving you. We trust you, Lord, in whatever is happening in our lives at this time. We turn it over to you. Be with us. Guide us. Minister to us. We would ask this now in your wonderful and precious name.